And when we speak, we are afraid our words will not be heard nor welcomed. But when we are silent, we are still afraid. So it is better to speak, remembering we were never meant to survive. Welcome to Better to Speak, the podcast, where we use storytelling to transform silence into language and action. I'm your host, Casey Felton. Information is vital to the function and success of our daily personal lives, as well as that of society at large. What, how, and from whom information is delivered can all impact those receiving it and how it is received, and it can most especially lead to a cascade of intended or unintended consequences, whether they be positive or negative. Misinformation, defined as information that is incorrect or misleading, has been a key factor in the socio-political sphere, most notably since the 2016 presidential election, in which Republican candidate and eventual President Donald Trump made his mark as the most candidly dishonest president in history. It presented itself as a much bigger threat as the 2016 election progressed, with Russia's interference, specifically the deliberate attempts to further disenfranchise black voters with fake ads and posts from fake accounts that capitalized on political fears and lack of information about the election. History repeated itself in the 2020 election and snowballed with catastrophic effects when the coronavirus pandemic hit, as many vulnerable communities were left without trusted sources of information to safely navigate the pandemic. Founded in October 2020 in response to the rampant misinformation towards Black communities, the National Black Cultural Information Trust aims to use storytelling tools to correct and challenge cultural misinformation and disinformation surrounding racial and ethnic identity, anti-blackness, and other false narratives that harm our communities. I spoke with its founder, Jessica Ann Mitchell at Wuyor, to discuss how easily misinformation and disinformation can show up in black folks' daily lives and specific ways we can individually and collectively combat it. I am a multicultural communication specialist and a cultural storyteller. Uh, I have a master's in Pan-African Studies and a master's in Public Relations. I've always had an interest in Black history and Black studies. And then when I got out of school, I wasn't really sure what to do with it. And then I realized that much of what I wanted to do dealt with communications. And so I went back and that's when I got the second master's in Public Relations. And since then, I've worked with nonprofits and PR firms, mostly in Washington, D.C., on national issues affecting Black communities. And then what inspired you to start the National Black Cultural Information Trust? Well, uh, over the last couple of years, there's been a lot of discussions about misinformation and disinformation, but a lot of times they don't capture the cultural context of, of these issues. So I founded the National Black Cultural Information Trust as a, as a source, as a resource for Black communities and those uh, seeking to reach Black communities concerning misinformation and disinformation, really putting a lot of what is happening into a cultural context for people to understand. Because a lot of times when there's misinformation, um, it, it comes with a, a cultural understanding. It comes with a background story as to why this is happening. The same with disinformation. When disinformation targets our communities, oftentimes it does so uh, by using our cultural conversations and inserting itself and causing manipulation online. 
And then you kind of touched on my next question. So for our listeners who may not know the exact difference between um, misinformation and disinformation, could you explain the, the difference between the two? Sure. Misinformation is uh, false information that someone may believe to be true, but not like in a nefarious way. Um, so uh, a couple of years ago on Facebook, there was this post circulating about Black Friday. And it was saying that like Black Friday came from when people were enslaved and we were sold at a discounted rate and that's where Black Friday came up with. That was misinformation. It wasn't true and a lot of people shared it. A lot of celebrities shared it, but they didn't share it in a way where they were trying to fool or manipulate someone. They just really believed the false information. So misinformation is uh, information that is false that sometimes people believe to be true and they share it without knowing or they believe it without knowing it's not actually true. And then disinformation is different because it's intentional. So it'll be bad actors that spread false information in order to manipulate or get people to, to react in a certain way. Um, during uh, the 2016 and the 2020 election, there was a lot of disinformation targeting Black and Latino communities, sharing false information, seeking to get people to either not vote or to vote in, away from the Democratic Party. And it's perfectly fine to have your own political leanings, but when people start to spread false information for this express intention of manipulating people into believing something that is not true, that's where the problem comes in. Mm -hmm. And then your organization specifically tackles cultural misinformation and disinformation. You touched on that, like how people will use like, in the, in the case of the black community, will use like certain, you know, things that are specific to our community in order to, to either spread misinformation or um, intentionally to do disinformation. So could you um, explain that, that delineation a little bit more? the cultural misinformation. Mm -hmm. So the reason why I, I, I frame it that way is we will, especially in the digital space, on Twitter, on Facebook, but let's just look at Twitter. We have a lot of conversations uh, that specifically deal with cultural issues or issues in our community. We have conversations about economics. What do we do to rise up economically? We have conversations about who to vote for. And all of that hinges on uh, our experience as being Black in America. Um, we have so many different conversations that are based on our history and our legacy and our experiences as Black people. And so when we deal with, um, and a lot of times institutionally, we have not gotten full access even to our own history. That's why we have Carter G. Woodson's Miseducation of the Negro. And so what happens is even um, as, we, as we move forward uh, and, and we, we get more um, information available, if we don't know where to look for it, it's not necessarily a big help. And if, if people, uh, believe false information or they share false information intentionally because we're in the digital space, uh, it spreads so quickly. And it's in this cultural context. And so what happens is uh, it, it sticks to us more. So like we, we, we end up, it ends up getting um, ingrained into our thoughts and the way that we feel about certain topics. And so that's where the manipulation is easy to come in. 
uh, Twitter just Twitter uh, during the 2020 election uh, removed like thousands of, of, well, I'm not exactly sure the full number, but they removed a number of uh, Blacks for Trump Twitter accounts that were fake, completely fake, but were there to, to tweet things like, I'm Black and I'm voting for Trump and here's why. And, this and that and the Demo get off the Democrat plantation and this and, and so and spreading false information about different things and different candidates. Again, there's no issue with whether or not you want to be Democrat, Republican, independent. The issue comes in where fake uh, or, or digital blackface accounts come in and other uh, bad actors come in from whatever source to specifically sow discord and spread false information. And they do it based on knowing our cultural experience or our, our experience as a black people in America and try to uh, get to us through emotions and twist information in order to manipulate people. Right. And you touched on like in the 2020 election, how, you know, disinformation played a role. But I think that, you know, we, we sort are so focused on, you know, Russia and how like that whole thing happened in the 2016 election. Um, but what was your perspective again about how misinformation and disinformation played a role in 2020? Because I feel like there hasn't been as much coverage about that. Yeah. So in 2020, and I'm glad you brought that up because it is a lot of talk about Russia and sure, I believe that there are bad actors coming out of, of, of various countries, but we also know that it's internal. Like we also, uh, Media Matters uh, covered uh, different white supremacists saying that they were gonna tweet certain hashtags and create fake accounts specifically to pretend to be black online and cause divisions and cause uh, and, and spread false information. So I think the issue that isn't being addressed enough or isn't being interrogated or investigated enough is where are these bad actors coming from within the United States? And how do we stop it? How do we put it in to having our digital space uh, be so easily uh, hijacked and manipulated? Um, over the course of 2020, um, there were, as I mentioned earlier, a number of fake accounts popping up daily on Twitter and Facebook where other organizations too were noticing bots that were specifically created to just post and post and post and post and use all these different hashtags and, and try to emotionally manipulate Black people online. We also had the Trump campaign spending millions of do dollars to target Black voters um, to, to specifically try to get the change the way in which we view the voting process. So I think that not enough attention is being paid to like, there was a lot of coverage about disinformation, but not, necess not, not necessarily enough coverage about solutions for solving this problem and holding, um, holding people accountable, bad actors accountable, corporations accountable, we did see Twitter try to make some changes and Facebook try to make some changes, but it was almost like too little too late. So what's gonna happen in the future to make sure that this doesn't continue? 
Right. And you touched on exactly what my next question was going to be in terms of Facebook and Twitter and other social media sites implementing those changes to try and get a hold on um, on those bad actors. Um, I was going to ask, like, do you think that that was effective in actually stopping the spread of false information? No, <laughs> I don't think it was effective. Um, I think that they're really going to have to take a, a deeper look as to how they handle Facebook groups um how they handle uh different uh postings fan pages black activists have been complaining for years that um certain black activist accounts will be deleted or removed but then like white supremacist accounts are still there and there are other accounts that popped up where they were and this was i remember in 2016 pretending to be a black activist um getting thousands of followers and really and being able to encourage people to physically show up to locations i'm not exactly sure what uh process in that that needs to be taken to fully uh remove this from their platforms but i know that they need to be paying greater attention to the ways in which certain hashtags are being used and the ways in which certain postings are being uh, used on Facebook. There are accounts of uh, that are sharing posts at a rate that is humanly impossible. So they need to do a better job of tracking that kind of thing. Um, they have made uh, changes to the advertising process. I know that uh, Facebook prevented certain postings about politics, uh, certain, not postings, but ads. Um, they, but now you can now post more political stuff. You have to go through a process to be able to do it, to, to determine that you're coming from within the United States. But even if you're coming from the United States, what is the measure that's going to be taken? Because it doesn't mean that there still won't be misinformation, disinformation and manipulation. It just means that the entity has an address from within the United States. Mm -hmm. So they have to come up with a better uh, system. And then moving on to disinformation and misinformation about COVID-19, um, we've seen false information and narratives pertaining to the black community like since day one. Um, so now that the vaccine is being rolled out, what is your perspective about the idea that, you know, this narrative that Black people are hesitant or resistant about getting the vaccine, that we don't want it? Um, what are your thoughts on that? I think there is, uh, we, we do have a certain level of distrust, but like the medical industry hasn't really given us a great reason to trust. And so they have to build trust. But I think one issue that we're not talking about enough is the fact that um, a lot of people in our, uh, our government and politicians that are supposed to be handling this rollout, they are also spreading misinformation. They are also not telling um, the full truth about, uh, we learned about Governor Cuomo trying to hide nursing home deaths. Um, we know about um, Governor Hogan uh, of, 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 of Maryland um, not telling the full truth about uh, the amount of um, the amount of COVID tests that we have, uh, we there's a lot of different uh, types of misinformation that is coming from our actual governments. Uh, we're not getting, and there's also under communication. 
not telling people like we blame it on hesitancy right with the black community but like what difference does that make if you don't have the doses like you don't have the doses and you're not educating the community you're not doing sufficient targeted prioritized access to our communities and then when you do roll it out you're not doing it in a way that reaches our communities um I spoke with uh, Dr. Lawrence Brown, who, who talks about uh, spatial access. And that is one of the core things that he raises that a lot of times the way in which we even access things is racial and it's based on the way in this, this, this country was segregated um, and, red, and black communities were redlined. And so when we have these issues of um, the way in which we, we even access these things, we have healthcare industries and politicians that don't take these things into account. So the narrative continues to be black people won't take it, black people won't take it, but have you did everything that you can to get the vaccine to black communities? Um, there was an initiative in Philadelphia that disproved this entire thing about it all being about hesitancy. Um, the reason why there are lower uh, vaccination rates is because the communities are not getting the doses that they need. They're not getting access to the vaccines. There aren't, there isn't enough available and it's not being a targeted push to give it out in a way in which that is equitable. Um, in Philadelphia, they have this um, Black Doctor COVID Consortium, um, part of this organization called It Takes Philly. They, they um, vaccinated 4,000 people in 24 hours in a predominantly black neighborhood in Philadelphia. The issue concerning COVID-19, yes, we are hesitant, we have distrust, but the core issue with black communities and vaccines is that we don't have equitable access to them and that is not our fault. And so there needs to be better communication coming from local governments and the federal government concerning uh, COVID-19. And that's what's not being talked about enough, the misinformation coming from our own governments. Right, and then um, what you touched on as far as like the, the access to information, the under-communication um, and the misinformation coming from the government itself, what, who or what do you believe has the biggest role, regardless of the issue, whether it comes to COVID-19, elections, things like that, um, to solve this information? Um, do you believe it's like one person or organization or entity or like what, you know, is, is each person's role in terms of um, just providing like factual information, the spreading of, of factual information and communicating effectively about these things? I think it's gonna take a, a lot of different entities, a lot of different institutions, a lot of different people um, because it, it comes from so many different points of view and lenses and it comes in different ways. So like I talked about, um, and, and corporations also are largely responsible. Uh, so like Twitter, Facebook, Google that owns uh, YouTube um, and Facebook that owns uh, Instagram. And then we have Clubhouse and good Lord, Clubhouse. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, <laughs> and so like Clubhouse really is like the wild, just there is little to no moderation or accountability with that company. So I think some of the, the, the people that can really, uh, of course, our federal government, 
plays a big role in coming down on these corporations, the social media, digital media-based corporations, and then the digital media corporations should uh, behoove themselves, take it upon themselves to do everything that they can to really sit back and analyze and research their sites and perhaps talk to Black people that study this issue to really understand how they can monitor it better and how people are being manipulated. And then they can go back and look through their system and see what they can do to make sufficient changes. Because it isn't enough to just make sure that the person is coming from within the United States. Um, it isn't just trying to shut off uh, certain ads from being played because it's not always done through ads. It's done through fake accounts. It's done through pop-up accounts. It's done through real accounts. Um, it's, it's done through digital blackface. So they're really going to have to step up and, and pay attention to the way that it affects our communities in various ways. But I really feel like the biggest player in all of this are the, the, the major social media corporations. Right. And, and for people that don't know what Clubhouse is, um, Clubhouse is like a, a, a audio app where people go on and they can create a room to have uh, real conversations where you hear each other's voices. Um, and there's been a lot of misinformation spread on that app with little to no accountability. Right, I think that plays on my next question, like on a personal level, what can individuals do to stop, you know, the spread of disinformation? Like I think of um, like on Clubhouse where people like genuinely take up these platforms and spread misinformation and disinformation, thinking that like, okay, this is what the narrative is and I'm just, you know, repeating it. Um, so like on a personal level, can people do to mitigate that or just, you know, I guess hold themselves more accountable to the information they're sharing? Um, on a personal level, I think that if you see something that um, automatically, and it's not always easy to tell either, but a lot of times uh, the, the disinformation specifically is shock value stuff. Like it's meant to shock you. It's meant to get your, your, you know, your blood pumping. Oh my God, I can't believe this. Check the source. So, so often on Facebook, um, people will see an article, it has an image, all it has to do is be on the internet and have a, a shocking headline and people share it, you know, and they don't necessarily check the source. Sometimes it is satire and people really, it's hard for people to tell the difference. So it's not necessarily disinformation, but it's like satire that people don't realize is satire because they don't go to the website and check and it says this site is satire. It's not always something that you notice, right? And it'll be people that say, well, actually this is a joke. But by then thousands of people have just read the headline. They haven't clicked on and actually read through the page. So they end up spreading misinformation by misinterpreting what they've seen or not understanding what they've seen. So people really will share satire as truth and not understand that it is satire. So one of the things you can do is before you share, Take, take the two seconds to click and see if it's real, you know, make sure it's not like a website like The Onion or something else. Um, because I've seen other the websites that are modeled after The Onion, but like from a black perspective that people really shared and believed the story was true. Um, that's a simple mistake that a lot of people make. And there's been research to say that a lot of people just can't, they don't initially discern satire from truth. Um, 
So that's one thing. Another thing is when these articles pop up and people use them as sources, um, sometimes the source is really not legitimate at all. Now it, it could be presented as truth, but it isn't. Or, or the website is run by some shady a, a group or organization or person, and it doesn't have any real research to back it up. It's just false claims, but people believe it because it's, it's presented in the article form. So consider the source. Um, and I'm, I'm not saying that we should all do all this long research before, you know, uh, because I, that's just not um, realistic. But at least look at the source and say, does this look like something that um, someone or some organization that I truly believe, um, does this look reputable? I would say that if you have to pause on anything, if you, if you have to do a double take, maybe not share it until you get more information. One of the best things that we can do concerning misinformation and disinformation is just not share it and not repeat it. One of the things Twitter is doing now is like before you retweet a link to an article, it says, do you want to read it first? And that kind of, I, it, I don't know the stats behind if it's making people click on articles more. I hope that it does. But just the clicking on it and seeing where the actual source came from, that helps. Seeing what the actual article is, because a lot of times we react to headlines. Um, Another thing is uh, on Twitter um, and on Facebook, there'll be a, a, a post that also gets, grabs your attention. Like I'm black and I'm voting for Trump and here's why. I hate to make it all about that, but it just is the easiest example because it really happens so much. Um, click on the actual profile. Some of those profiles have zero followers or were just created yesterday. It literally says on Twitter, like I get this all the time. And I take screenshots as proof to save for later in my research. These accounts will say, like come at me and say, you know, I don't believe this. Why are you saying this, blah, blah, blah. And like, go click on the profile, zero followers, following 100 accounts, no, no, none of no uh, uh, tweets, just responses to other people's tweets, and it was created in uh, March of 2021. Like it was just created, <laughs> literally. And then we'll have like an image as a the the um, profile picture or no profile picture. Uh, it'll have a name, Frank seven seven eleven sixty nine zzz. And like a lot of times those accounts are bots or fake or digital blackface. So I wouldn't even go back and forth with an account like that. I just block, you know, to prevent them from continuing to use my account to spread it. Um, what happens on Twitter is these accounts pop up. They say something egregious and people end up going back and forth and arguing. And what you do is you boost them because your followers see you interacting with that account and you, you're actually inadvertently boosting that account and the misinformation that is spreading. It's better to block. <laughs> it's better to just block. Right. Um, it really is. Um, and it's better to uh, try not to engage, especially if you click on the profile and see that it's 
is literally zero or one follower just created in 2021. No, nothing to show for the actual account is there to cause issues, whether it's a bot, a troll bot, uh, or, or a digital blackface thing. Um, so I think one of the best things that we can do is to not engage, not share, not repeat, and try to look for uh, a reputable sources. Try and, and even that, even they get it wrong, you know, it, but try to look for reputable sources. If it's COVID-19, um, share information from a doctor you trust. Share information from a Black organization you trust that usually they post different uh, articles and things like that or op-eds or things. Try to uh, make sure that before you react to something is actually real. Because a lot of times it's just, it's things that stoke our emotions and our fears. And then we interact with it and that's how it spreads like wildfire. So it's better to just be cautious with what you share. And then my last question is, what are your organization's priorities and goals coming from out of the election and moving into 2021? Moving into 2021, we're gonna do more um, misinformation and disinformation teach-ins. So partnering with uh, other organizations and offering up uh, free teach-ins for, for like different groups. So like, let's say we may do something with the AME Church the, with their, their national media arm, the Christian Recorder, to do a chat on misinformation and what it looks like and how to not share it and uh, understanding it. Uh, but that's one of the, the biggest things. What helps is educating people. Because generally, people don't realize just how many fake accounts exist. Millions of them exist on Twitter, on Facebook, and just letting people know that helps. Just educating people on that helps because now they know when they get online, everyone you interact with or every account you see isn't, isn't what you necessarily see. It isn't, um, what you see isn't necessarily real concerning that. Um, also uh, sharing informational finding uh, uh, legitimate uh, sources, sources that you can trust. So it's, it's going to be focused on building, on educating and building awareness of what is happening because it'll just keep happening until corporations take full um, uh, accountability for their platforms, until the federal government takes full accountability for itself and these platforms um, and bad actors. So what we have to do is build awareness within our communities so that we know when we get online that we're not necessarily in a, spa a safe space, that when we have these cultural conversations among ourselves about identity, about who we are, about how we should vote or even how we eat or if we should take the vaccine, is not necessarily everyone online whose ideas you want to um, share or mimic or replicate. And even if you disagree, it's not that you should always engage back and forth with those accounts. 
That's it for this episode. You can find us on social media at better to speak underscore or on our website, better to speak.org. If you want to sponsor an episode and support better to speak, you can find the link to donate in the description of whatever podcasting platform you're listening on. Be sure to tune in to future episodes where we'll dive into various sociopolitical topics with the goal of transforming silence into language and action. Once again, I'm your host, Casey Felton. Thank you for listening.